Welcome back, everyone. Happy Lunar New Year Eve, Year of the Rabbit. Hopefully, you have some festivities, and if you're not part of the tradition, you should certainly go out and experience all the festivals that will be happening over the next couple of weeks. I know there's a lot of family dinners happening right now, and if you want some tips, there's lots of different cakes out there, lots of treats. Pineapple cakes are popular. Uh, Get in the spirit of checking that out if you're not familiar. It's one of the, certainly the biggest holidays when it comes to many in the Asian cultures. So I hope you have a chance to enjoy that, a chance to celebrate that. And let's talk about some of the headline articles of the week. We're going to be talking about a few things. Lower mortgage rates, higher inventory, boost demand for home loans. Why is that? I thought people didn't want to buy homes anymore. Mortgage volume collapse for certain banks. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mortgage rates have peaked along with inflation. That's interesting. Now, why does inflation peak? What does CPI data mean? What's the breakdown of CPI? You're going to start seeing a few different things when it comes to who gets affected. And because of that, Google had announced a big layoff um, recently of 12,000 people. Now, we'll talk about that shortly, and we'll talk a little bit about San Jose versus San Francisco, why San Jose has stayed more resilient when it came to the office space versus San Francisco. So as you can imagine, we got a lot to cover, so let's jump right into it. First things first, lower mortgage rates, higher inventory, boost demand for home loans. Despite the uptick in mortgage application, the market is not out of the woods, according to Executive. Now, when I see this, I see the headlines and I see the activity of what's going on today. If you want to see for yourself, go out to a newer home that's on the market. Go out to open houses. You can see there is a lot more people out there. But you may be saying, wait, Spencer, everybody's getting laid off. There is no job that is safe. We're going to talk about that when we look at Google releasing, unfortunately, 12,000 people. But they have a ton more people than before. And there's still a lot of people that need to make the decision, should you keep spending money on rent or should you own a place, especially when prices have declined by so much? So the reality is that, too. And the other thing is because rates have gone down, keep in mind, just look at all charts across the board. Mortgage rates have declined since the November figures of at least by 10% right now. That's for conforming loans. For jumbo loans, jumbo loans are still incredibly competitive because jumbo loans were always written from the books from the individual banks. Because of that, they can still be as aggressive as they would like. So give you an idea. Uh, City has a current pro pro uh, program for 4.8% for 30-year fixed jumbo loan. Like that's not that bad at all. That's incredibly good. Even when I got a loan, Back in May, April, May time, for mine was only at 4.2% for 30 year fix. So by only being 0.6% higher, but prices have declined 20 to 25%, you don't think the balance has already swayed to the buyer side? Just do some quick math. And so the key is just understanding who are the players that are competitive, right? Who are the strong ones? And at the end of the day, being able to adjust accordingly. But fortunately, in the Bay Area, when it comes to all these prices for buyer on the buyer's side, it's been a lot more accommodative versus a lot of other places around the country. And so when you see this, you're going to see a lot more people into the market. And you do see that. So I do suspect that will be more competition. 
I don't know how much prices may rise, but I wouldn't be too surprised if prices were starting to go back up because you have at least some stability, right? Most people just need stability in their lives, right? If rates are a certain number or they, they hang around a certain number, that's the new normal. Then people can adjust accordingly of what the new normal is. It, it was very hard for people to adjust when rates were going straight up, right? Because every every other month, they couldn't buy their affordability changed by 10%. But now that rates are not just flatter, they're also lower, then a lot of people are coming out and wanting to buy because you can see rent figures have not plummeted by any means. And this has been a good time for people to settle down, find a home that is suitable for themselves, compete with a little less people. But keep that in mind, this does not last indefinitely. There are always floorings of all assets. And so be mindful of that if you're actively looking. I would absolutely love to help you with that journey. It's very important to be mindful of just how low can things go and, and having a game plan for that. Now, you see different articles. Mortgage volumes collapse for Wells Fargo, JP Morgan in Q4 2022. Now, why is this? What happens in markets is generally the more premium the home is, the actually more volatile the home is. It got it went up more, but it also can decline more. And so, as you can see in the Bay Area, single-family homes have actually declined more than condos and townhomes throughout the last um, since since the peak of April. Now, historically, they have gone up more, and they have gone more, up more than those other assets. But right now, they've been had a bigger decline, and those are the higher price points. Chase and Wells Fargo do do very little loans for conforming at this at this time. And it's been that way for a while now. The biggest players would be like Rocket, uh, UWM, uh, these different players behind the scenes that are mortgage brokers. And for them, they've always been focused on the jumbo loans. So it's not a surprise when that market has been the biggest, has, has impacted more than the others where their volume is a lot less. It's also a combination that they chose to do less. Ask, go, if you want to experiment, here's a very easy way. The banks don't need to necessarily say, I'm out of the game. But how do they adjust their portfolio? What's their strategy, right? Because you think about a bank, they have a lot of strategies. They can, they can increase their strategy of like giving promos and deposits. So you have some banks giving really, really high interest rates uh, for savings. So that's a, a strategy. Some do it by providing loans. That's a strategy. Some do it by wealth management side of things. So there's different games when it comes to that. But the idea is these big players, um, if they don't want to be participating in a uh, in, in the mortgage industry, they just simply jack up their own rates so that nobody goes to use them. So very be, be mindful that just because you are a Chase private client or you're a Wells Fargo uh, VIP that you don't just stick with that bank just because you're an existing client. You don't actually necessarily get the best if you were to see some of the other options, because a lot of times the mortgage side isn't that tied to the banking side. Now there are periods where all the banks are the same because they're all trying to be competitive. And then you get some of the value of the chase private clients and things like that, because you can buy down your rates based because you have a lot of money with them. But if they were really jacked up high, even if you buy it down, it'll still be much higher than others. So just be mindful of that and just be mindful that that's how, they, that's how the game works. 
That's how the banks determine their risk on different markets. They can choose where they want the rates to be. And then naturally, there'll be different. Uh, naturally, they'll have less demand. Now, there'll be a time where they say, look, the market, we like this market now. We want to be active in it. So we're going to adjust our rates. And then there may be the biggest, the best player. So it's just important to understand, like, these are these are things that happen and they change. So depending on when you watch this, it could if you watch this a few months later, it may adjust accordingly. Now, this is the reason why. Cool. Mortgage rates have peaked along with inflation. So this is um this is always an interesting thing when you actually look into it because it's not always it's never always good news because it can't be. How does inflation get tamed? Right. Think about all the data when it comes to the CPI index. Right. You have goods. You have food. You have energy. You have housing. You have employment, you have income, right? Like those are all factors when it comes to inflation. Now, a lot of the data is also very old. So one of the old data is shelter. So they, they it's always a laggard. And you've all seen it already across the board. If you if they actually had more real-time data, you would already have seen that home prices have declined tremendously, not just the Bay Area, but across the country. Everywhere has declined. So in my expectation, at least on the shelter side of things, at least on the on the housing, it's going to be a negative number depending on when they compare it to. Because at the, at the end of the day, this is a baseline, right? It's a baseline of when it was compared to. Now, most of the declines started happening in April and May. So there may be some more time for the lagger data to actually catch up. It may be a few more months. But then it may be very terrible when you compare year over year. Like, imagine the year-over-year numbers for this upcoming April. It's going to be really, really bad, right? And so that will help a lot with the CPI data. The other thing, which is difficult, is inflation wages have also – it's it's like this dual-edged sword. Like, it's so, it's so, like, confusing for a lot of people, right? On one end, it's like, it's good that, you, that everybody makes more money. On the other end, it's bad. Everyone makes more money. It's like a really, really tricky thing. And so you're going to see how do you stop inflation growth of wages? Like it's going to have to be a consolidation and, and the need to cut people, right? That's how you stop the pressure of growth and, and, and this wage growth because then, then other people have less options to find new jobs. And this is how things slow down a little bit. So it's like a, it's a really interesting thing. So that's why you can't really tame inflation by by uh, by not having a lot of job cuts and then unemployment figures to to go up, and so that's the interesting like dilemma that we're going to continue to see happen. And especially in tech, right? Google made their layoff this week. They laid off twelve thousand people. Now this combines after Amazon, Microsoft laid off another twenty eight thousand people. So the people out in Seattle gets a lot more impacted there because of the nature of that's where their major job hub is. And that's just the process of what was going to continue to happen where these companies have grown a lot. Now, they, to make no mistake, they still make a lot of money, but they're trying to continue to be more profitable, show investors that they are responsible of their money and go through this process of cutting you know, tens of thousands of people at a time. On one hand, you see this, right? You see this. 12,000 people cut, which is a lot of people. Now, 
it's certainly across the globe. So a lot of people get impacted. It's not just the Bay Area. Bay Area certainly has people impacted. But the fact is, it doesn't show on this. Many times when they do these kind of cuts of 10,000, 15,000, 18,000, what's actually more mind-blowing to me is how many people are actually at these companies to begin with. So Google has grown so much. Same with Microsoft, same with Amazon. When Amazon made their cut, like another 18,000 people, that was like 3 to 5% of the workforce. And same with Microsoft, they're like 3 to 5% of workforce. It wasn't like some of these other companies that are these startups that are laying off 20 to 30% at a time of their workforce. So you have the natural aspect that like some of them was going to be due to natural attrition anyways that doesn't get reported. I mean, 3 to 5% attrition a year isn't like a whole lot, to be fair. It's not a crazy number, but all at once and kind of being a surprise is, is the situation. Now, this is where like there's pros and cons of it, right? The more this happens, the more likely inflation will get a lot better tamed because wage growth and, and wages are a big part of it. On the other side, people are going to be affected. It's, it's just the reality of how things are. And so I do have a few tips for those who get impacted, especially in the especially in the Bay Area. It's certainly nothing personal. It never is personal when it comes to these things. They have to do what they got to do, whether it's really required or not is a different thing. It's not like they're bleeding money. But at the end of the day, they all report to shareholders and to investors. And so take this as an opportunity to rest up. It's, it's certainly good to. You know, a lot of people have been working a lot and it's good to be able to spend some more time with your family, with your friends, especially after holidays. It's good to catch up. There's there's that aspect of things. There's also the aspect of uh, maybe relearning or learning some new skills. Right. Some of the things like um, chat GPT has been incredibly interesting. And so those are new uh, opportunities to be able to see like how those can ultimately how those can ultimately impact or improve what you're already doing. So those are some opportunities to spend some, some more time in. The other thing, maybe pick up some more sports, do some health and fitness. I personally play tennis. You can go pick up tennis, pick up golf. Those are good activities. Or you can also reach out to me. I love to see however I can help. I'm probably going to organize just some gatherings. Just I mean, at the end of the day, like these things are, are out of our control. And there's so many things that are – positives of this world and so i may just have like different happy hour kind of things that um for those that may be impacted just to get people together you are not even though careers are so important for a lot of us you are not dictated by your job title you are not dictated by your career or which company you are at you don't need to say you're at x alphabet like people are all nice people working hard doing what they can for their families so I'm going to be organizing some gatherings too, just for people to get together, have opportunities to network, seeing what opportunities are out there. Because at the end of the day, there is going to be a lot of really interesting projects and things that will take shape uh, when we look back at it. Next, let's talk about a little bit about the cities. Why San Jose stayed resilient as San Francisco stumbled? So in San Francisco, office vacancies are surging. Rents are plummeting in the city's downtown, once buzzing with energy activity can't shake a general feeling of desolation. It's less glamorous neighborhood to the south, San Jose, is facing many of the same challenges, or at least it should be. But by many manners, it's been more resilient. Office demand is rising. The city lost fewer residents in COVID and the stodgy corporate giants that 
make up its large employers aren't going anywhere. San Francisco is it's kind of amazing. In just a, it's just four years, San Francisco's total vacancy rate jumped from less than 4% in 2019 to 28% today, according to CBRE. And Silicon Valley's has a vacancy rate of 14% lower than national average. So this is kind of unfair. And let's, let's talk about why. Because it's not comparing necessarily of just downtown San Jose. When you read this, and when I first read this, I'm like, okay, interesting. Is downtown San Jose that much better than San Francisco? I would have said there's a few things for it. And here's a big thing that, you know, when you actually know this information, it's not, um, it's, it's makes a little bit more sense, right? So think about what they just said here and tell me, leave in the comments below, how would you have digested this information? The fact is this, if you look at San Francisco, San Francisco was really making a huge bet in one main area, right? Which is around Soma, south of Market. Now, you have the financial district of these other areas, but really that's where there's a lot more new construction or residential. New zoning is really that way, right? So you see a lot more buildings there. They're putting a lot of emphasis on the, just the, the living environment situation in that, in that region specifically. But you also had a lot of other growth, like over the last decade, of like Mission Bay. Mission Bay is still building things. I mean, think about this: like the Chase Center is all pretty new, the Chase buildings are all pretty new, or sorry, the Uber buildings are all pretty new, right? So there's still a lot of space. And the difference of why this occurred is that when the vacancies were surging, a lot of developers, rightfully so, started building a lot more. So you had a lot of pent up inventory and pent up buildings that were being done really during the 2018 time frame right because that's when everything was just buzzing everything was just so busy you couldn't get anything i remember when i was working in the city when i exited the bart station when i entered up into market street just that energy was so lively and to be fair i missed that especially during the workday everybody's walking around, busy going to where they need to go to, going to the coffee shop meeting, lots of in-person things. And then afterwards, lots of people hanging out for happy hours. No, that is a shell of itself, at least in that region. And so it is pretty unfair because, because all of their offices are in that one region. Yes, when it's bad, it's, it's gone bad fast. Now, they did a comparison of Silicon Valley Right. And as I've been saying, though, to be fair, Silicon Valley is very, very big and very sprawl. And you have the opportunity for corporate tech campuses and their perception of the return to office is very different, especially because they're more established and because they value that very differently. And to be fair, they're also making a ton of money. So that doesn't help. Uh, that doesn't hurt. Right. Versus all these startups were not making tons of money. They were losing a ton of money. So there's all these kind of factors. And so. The difference, that's a very significant difference, right? When people were looking at, when people were looking at uh, office options, those are all important. Give me one second. Sorry about that, technical difficulties uh, of a live stream. So 
because of those changes, like there's a lot, it was always there. The, the bigger companies were always into the corporate campus field. So they're able to absorb a lot of that. And the way that things were built were also different. They were built because those companies were either going to buy the land or they were, there was a clear need for it. So I would argue that San Francisco had actually overbuilt and it was tricky because it was at 4% vacancy rates, which was to be fair, some of the lowest it has ever been. But because of that, and because of that initial need of just more, everybody was just building. And then to be fair, a lot of the big tech companies, they also had big offices in San, in San Francisco, but nobody really expected for obviously COVID to happen. And then for so many people to have this kind of remote environment during the time. Now things are getting a little bit better, but it's still a far, far cry for what it had been and, and how it may be in the future. So that's the big thing. Now, the difference too in, in San Jose is like downtown San Jose didn't actually build a whole lot of new construction either, right? So they were able to just kind of keep their inventory fairly the same because they didn't need to actually build that up, right? And so you look at downtown San Jose, there's not that many residential, there's not that many um, commercial. You see Adobe, Adobe built a new tower over the years. So there's that. But as you can see, they're just building because they know them themselves need it. But it's not like for outside people. They're not building a brand new commercial building for fun and then hoping somebody comes in. So that's the reality of like what happened. So it's not really fair to be sure. Uh, to be fair, it's not really fair to be fair um, when it comes to how they made this comparison. But that's that's why it is what it is. Uh, we'll wrap a couple of things up. San Francisco and Bay Area Pierce hustle to meet looming state housing deadline. This is always kind of interesting. Just like a lot of people like to file tax extensions, you see this happening uh, with the cities that apparently all these cities, for some reason, had misinterpreted the um, to be able to submit and adopt a new blueprint when it comes to housing projects. And so there is apparently a deadline at the end of this month that a lot of these major cities needs to do. And the idea about this is that they have to show policies, right? It's interesting. The city has its own local things that they got to deal with, especially of residents. And at the same time, you have the state that wants to create housing because it's uh, it's an important milestone. But the more expensive the city is, the less likely they are to be able to build or want to build. And it's always a combination of things, right? There's a com combination of nimbyism. Like, I don't want this new apartment uh, in my area because it's going to affect my standard of living. They're going to always say that all day, every day. On one end, that's true. On the other end, there's also not as much room to build. You usually have to tear something down, right? Imagine if you were just driving around Palo Alto, like drive around Palo Alto. Like you tell me if you're a developer, where are you going to build? You're going to have to tear something down and you're going to have to get it rezoned, right? So it's not that easy, but it's technically easy if if they are forced to do so. And the question is, are they really forced to do so? So the idea about that is they have to make their adjustments when it comes to housing elements, zoning, density to meet some of these requirements, because if they don't, they could get faced with penalties. They can get faced with uh, losing some funding. Um, there could be other issues that are then dealt. So every, a lot of cities that have been kind of slacking off on this needs to con needs to get this out to them. And then once it's out, you'll be able to see their general plans. 
Now, like many, a lot of these are decade-long plans and how quickly they are to implement it, that's a different problem altogether. But at least you can see what they have in terms of ideas and what regions they may have reclassified and because they those could bring up uh, opportunities. Uh, next, Bay Area hovers on verge of home building slowdown. Developers cite labor, material, and finance headwinds for construction. This is not uh, anything new. There is already a slowdown, right? Um, especially with the cost of housing to build has not been good. Uh, it continues to get worse. And especially as prices have declined, the builders just have less confidence, right? Because the builders, think about the process of a builder. They got to buy some land and go through a long, long journey with the city to subdivide it, to get it in position to be built. So it'll take a long time just for them to do that. But once they do that, they still got to build the place. Once they build the place, they got to sell the place. And quite frankly, most of the land that has the ability to sell uh, are in those very prime areas. But there aren't that many of them. And so they tend to be further out. So I just did a video, and you'll be on my on my uh, YouTube channel in a couple of weeks. Like I went out to Hollister. Places like Hollister has a lot of land and has a lot of builders there. There's lots of builders there. Places like Gilroy. I helped the client just recently buy a place, a new construction place in Gilroy. So congratulations to them. But if you're looking at closer, there's a whole lot less, right? It's just maybe 100 units if you're kind of lucky, 100 units altogether. Versus like those places may have hundreds of units, if not thousands of units. Very, very different scale. And so that is uh, always a problem moving forward. And last but not least, let's talk about this. China-based ZNL to sell site for housing towers in San Jose. So what's interesting is a lot of these places, and it's hard for outside people to know, but you can, you can ultimately look this up. A lot of places may have been owned previously by outside investors. And if, when you think about the capital of these outside investors... They're not like you or me where we want to get some kind of return. For them, it could have been just to squat to own that place, as in not doing anything at that place. Like you can see this developer got now arrested with some sort of corruption case in San Francisco. And he's been sitting on this place and he didn't maybe never had too many intentions to build. Right. It was approved six years ago, but the developer just didn't want to do anything. It could be a combination of macro, could be a combination. They didn't have any plans to build anyways. It was just parking money. And so that's not a good thing because there's always an opportunity to be built. Now, the good and bad news is, well, I guess it's mostly good news, is now they need to get rid of that property and likely the next person buying it hopefully has the intention to do the numbers. Hopefully it makes sense for them to build this kind of space so that now there's actually more housing or more residential or more commercial that is now available there instead of just a either piece of dirt or old building. So that is um, what is also happening and just kind of some of the things that happen locally in the Bay Area that you may not know. Like, why is this thing not selling or why are they not doing anything? I thought they bought this place for millions of dollars before, but nothing is going on. How does this make sense? When you look at it from a global perspective, there's a lot of markets that are like that where they just squat and just put money in this squad and do nothing. Now, fortunately, the Bay Area is not a whole lot, but there are situations like that. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Happy Lunar New Year. I guess congratulations or celebration for those that are the year of the rapid. Of course, if there's anything I can help you with when it comes to the Bay Area real estate market, if you're looking to buy, sell, or invest, 
give me a call. Send me a text. I'm going to drop my banner here. You can call or text me, 408-547-4590. I'll see you the next one. Bye now.